Hello and welcome to Aramis Analysis, breaking down uh, the weekend's 3-1 defeat for Middlesbrough at home to Bristol City. And uh, we have a, uh, a special, very special guest in attendance, former Bristol City striker Enoch Shawomni. Uh, has a big history of league football, 56 league goals, uh, 57 if you include Scotland. Uh, played for Bristol City, Sheffield Wednesday, uh, Leeds United, among other teams. And uh, remain a Bristol fan and follow a few other teams, a uh, few other teams that you played for. Thanks for thanks for joining us, Enoch. Hey, how you guys doing today? Good, good. Appreciate you coming in. And uh, to start with this. Um, Fun memory for many uh, Borough fans of uh, my age, at least, is the 2006-2007 uh, season. Very, very gifted Middlesbrough team in those days. Mark Schwarzer, uh, Fabio Rockenbach, Downing, Yakubu, uh, Boateng, just uh, some, some serious talent. And uh, they were, were drawn in the fourth round to uh, Bristol City uh, with the starting striker at Ashton Gate, uh, one Enoch Shawomni. And we're going to talk about those games, Enoch, and uh, I can give you, you can give me it through the eyes of the Bristol City player, and I can give you it uh, through the eyes of a Middlesbrough fan. But we, um, we went up 2-0 at Ashton Gate, a Premier League team, coming off a European final, 2-0 up to a lower division team, no problem. And uh, you fire back in the second half and uh, make it 2-2 and bring us to a, uh, a replay at the uh, Riverside Stadium. Now, what, what are your memories of uh, that Middlesbrough team and that game? Yeah, I remember when the draw was made, we was really looking forward to the game. Obviously, it was a, it was a Premier League club. Um, Bristol City was um, League One at the time. And we was that season, we were looking at obviously trying to get promoted. So, obviously, we're pitting our wits against a team two divisions higher. And we were looking forward, obviously, like you said, Middlesbrough had like some like um, ridiculously good players that you see household names that you see on TV all the time. And um, yeah, we just said, but listen, let's, let's just go out there, let's play our game, um, try to see how far we can take them and how far we can push them. And in that second half, we really came out firing. And I remember like um, Scotty Mar Murray scoring an unbelievable goal, like on the half volley from about 40 yards over the keeper. So um, to equalize. So yeah, it was, a, it was a great time for me personally, and it's a great time for Bristol in the city as well. Yeah, and we go to the replay at the Riverside, and um, you know, Middlesbrough fans, like, they had their glory, they got the replay, we'll sort them out this time, right, at home. And um, in the replay at the Riverside, Bristol City take the lead here. Yakubu equalizes in the second half. Uh, before the game goes to extra time, Yakubu actually misses a penalty. Um, and you have a story about that uh, that miss, right? Yeah, so because um, I I knew I, I knew Yakubu like pretty well because of like just um, how he played, how he took penalties, just because of um, following Nigerian national team, as well as um, just his his career in England as well. And before the game, I was telling my keeper, if, if there's ever a penalty, Yakubu like waits for the keeper to move, and he puts it in the upper corner. Um, so I told him to stand there, just just kind of wait as long as possible before you dive. And I remember um, him doing that. And then Yakubu um, kind of like didn't know what to do and just kind of struck the ball in the middle of the goal and the keeper saved it. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, luckily he didn't change his, his way of uh, his run-up. So, 
Yeah, yeah we could get the extra time and penalties. I was unfortunate enough to, not to play in that game because I was injured, but I was I was there in the stands. We took our little propeller plane from Bristol to, to Borough <laughs> for that game. I was in the stands too, actually. I did, I did not fly there. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I actually shot at you during the introduction because you were a Nigerian international yourself, right? Yeah, after my first year as a pro, I um, got called up to the team. So I made my debut when Obafemi Martins made his debut as well. So, so much talent in that Nigerian squad at the time. Yeah, nice. Um, so we got the extra time and uh, Yakubu scores in the 102nd minute. And we finally seen off this pesky Bristol team. Um, only for McComb to pop up in the 117th minute and send it to penalties. And Middlesbrough scraped through and... Honestly, you read through this Middlesbrough team sheet and it's a, it's a really impressive performance, mate. But um, as a Middlesbrough fan who first wanted this done at Bristol and then had the inconvenience of a replay and then had the stress and anxiety of extra time in a shootout, I just wondered if you wanted to take this chance to apologise for what you meet, put me yeah. and some of the listeners through. <laughs> I remember telling you earlier, um, it's lucky I didn't play in the replay because obviously we would have won then. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have let you on this show. You'd have been banned. <laughs> <laughs> so on to uh, on to the modern day. And sadly, obviously, it's a very it's a very different situation now. The tables have almost turned. You know, Middlesbrough's here in a relegation battle, and this win has put Bristol three points off the playoffs. And to be honest with you, watching this game, uh, Bristol are the better team. You know, they got they got some better players. They got more quality on the ball. They had a lot more, you know, energy and pace going forward. And uh, Middlesbrough's got some work to do over the long term, sadly, to catch, to catch Bristol up. Uh, but specifically to this game, we're going to work through it, talk through some of the points you've seen, uh, particularly as a striker who's played at the level. So anyone, you know, any young strikers listening can learn from some of your insights. And, you know, coaches like myself can learn some of the things you guys look for at the, uh, at the top level of the game. And... Uh, we go to the first uh, 15 minutes of the game here and Middlesbrough sort of, uh, they have a good start. You know, in the fourth minute, there's a, Savile makes a run forward past the Sombolonga, gets a free kick and you think, okay, bit of, bit of momentum, early start. And then, um, then the rest of the opening 15 minutes, I mean, it's just, uh, it's just all Bristol, isn't it? Like the Middlesbrough are getting counted on. Um, they're really struggling out wide to deal with the pace of the Bristol wingbacks. Um, every time Bristol go forward, to be honest with you, um, it looks a little bit vulnerable and it's a, it's a great goal um, to open the score. And then I think the sixth minute, uh, Wells starts the move. He plays in the midfielder, Patterson, who's ran away from Savile. Uh, Patterson squares it and it's cut back to Wells on the, uh, on the edge of the area. And that's a great finish. And, you know, I'm getting a sinking feeling 15 minutes in of this, this is going to be a tough one. Um, when you're watching the, that opening to the game, what were your observations and thoughts on it? I thought, um, obviously, as a home team, like Middlesbrough, obviously, they come out um, at, at pace, but I, I thought that they were looking to sit back and allow Bristol to kind of have that, um, have possession of the ball in the middle thirds of the pitch, and when they come in, then it's, it's pretty tight and blocked up for them. And then um, you saw like the full, the wing backs for Middlesbrough wasn't really pushing up as much in that early stages, and Bristol had a lot of the ball. And the gap between Middlesbrough's midfield and Middlesbrough's attackers was, was huge in that early stages. So 
the centre-backs had a lot of time on the ball for Bristol City. They were playing it into midfield and they were looking to probe and, and get the opportunities. And obviously, like you said, it was a, a great, great goal um, by Wells for that first goal. And um, I think that opened, that kind of opened the floodgates. I think Middlesbrough had to start to come out. Their fullbacks pushed up a bit more and then, um, and then there was more spaces for Bristol to attack. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in, in particular, out wide on the right, um, Hunt was given a uh, given Johnson a little bit of a going over in that area, wasn't he? Mm -hmm. as, the, yeah. as the game went on, so the second fifteen minutes, I mean, as a as a Middlesbrough fan, you know, Bristol have more pace and more quality. I think that's pretty apparent for the opening half hour. But um, but are all threatening, you know. There's it seems to be a lot of set play opportunities, um, long throw-ins from Shotton, corners, and you know, like some some chances carved out. Um, and it's almost in the classic pattern of every time Middlesbrough get a set play and a chance to put a high ball in the box, Bristol look like a little bit vulnerable. But when the ball's on the ground and the game's in open play, Middlesbrough's clearly second best. At least that's what I'm seeing. What, what, what are you seeing as the game goes on? Yeah, I think it was like, um, that's, that was a huge aspect of the game where Middlesbrough set pieces. They were doing a lot of that in-swinging corners right on top of the keeper, bunching that area. I think it was um, Fry that had a, uh, excellent chance. Um, I think he blazed it over the bar from about um, um, six, seven yards out. And that was a great opportunity to equalise. Um, and then, but yeah, like you said, in open play, Bristol had more quality on the ball. They had more patterns of play in terms of going from front to back. And Millifield was kind of looking at um, those kind of set pieces and long throw-ins that really hurt Bristol. Yeah. And uh, going into half... You know, these last 15 minutes be whole half-time, I think uh, I think Middlesbrough, I don't know if they improve any. There's still a set-player threat. There's still, the, um, there's still a threat out wide, and it's a, it's a real mountain to climb going into half-time. I think it's two or three minutes be half-time. Uh, they have a corner. You know, keep talking about the set-players, and they end up conceding from a corner before they score from one, right? Uh, it's a great counter-attack. Um, I thought the keeper was pretty sharp. Um, it's not a great corner for McNair. It's straight in the keeper's hands, but then he's he's out quickly. He rolls it to Hunt. Uh, Hunt plays it central to I think Wyman again. Wyman switches the point of attack to uh, Patterson, who was had a real good game for me, and then he cuts inside and uh, and finishes to make it two nil. And it's just just another example of Middlesbrough looking very vulnerable, particularly in the wide areas. Um, so last week at Millwall, Middlesbrough won in the three-five-two, and you know the the strengths of the formation were on display. Obviously, you're an extra man in centre midfield, let you play with a front two. Middlesbrough have a good front two in Fletcher and Asombolonga, um, a very expensive one too. Uh, so it's one of the strengths of the team, but it also has some vulnerabilities, and Bristol have pretty ruthlessly exposed them here. So you know, as someone who's played hundreds of games um, at the Championship level, and um, Talk a little bit when you're playing as a striker about the differences between a back three and a back four. You know, what is, uh, what's easier to play against? What makes it more difficult? And give us a little bit of insight in that. I think if, if you're coming against like centre-backs who are used to playing in a back four, then they don't want to be in the, in the wide areas. So if the wing-backs are really pushing, like pushing on, there's that space in those channels. And people like Wells and... I was always what known for pace and power as well. If you've got yeah, that space too, in the, in the, huh? I said me too. I miss, 
And I think, um, yeah, if you if you got that space, if you got that space in the in those in those channels, those um, those centre backs don't really want to be out there. So if you can get one on one with a centre back um, as a striker, I'm 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 loving that kind of space and that and that time on the ball and and fronting up a, a centre a back in those areas. So um, it's about kind of using using those spaces. You're gonna you're gonna have midfield runners. So you see with Wyman, you see with Patterson getting into little pockets um, in and around the box as well. And then also um, the other striker, the number nine, was was picking up spaces. So if Wells is stretching them, there's gonna be space in between those lines between the midfield and the and the other centre backs. And if a smart player can pick up those spaces, you can get on the ball turn, and then you're facing up the you're facing up the defenders again. So there's um there's different there's different um obviously ways to play against that three five two especially if the if the fullbacks are really attacking fullbacks and wingbacks um in the four four two you're kind of fronting up against your against your centre back um in the middle more in the middle of the field um if, again if you have attacking fullbacks they still leave the space but generally in a four four two you've got the wingers in front of you and then you've got the fullbacks so it would be like that that's not as much space. In between, in those channels, than in a three-five-two. So um, you're more like um, fronting up that um, centre back. You're still trying to stretch the game. Um, you've got like a, a, a short whip it of a striker like Wells um, stretching the game, or you've got a big guy that's kind of doing like me that was kind of being a target man and holding the ball up. So you're gonna, you still want to kind of break those lines as well. And use the two strikers that just want to stretch, want to kind of hold up the centre backs and keep them moving and and, and spreading them apart from each other. Yeah. So uh, I think those are the two kind of ways to play against those two formations. Gotcha. Yeah. So um, we go into the second half, and uh, I'm repeating myself, but it didn't change. You know, the the wide issues are still an issue. You know, there was no real shape adjustment at half time. Um, it's very, very clear that Wells is having joy, that Patterson is able to get forward on track, that Hunt, um, and to a lesser extent, I thought the Silva are getting forward. And uh, the same problems are resurfacing. And, uh, you know, Bristol have a big chance here. Tom, Tommy Callis, who actually used to play for Middlesbrough on loan from Chelsea, um, he get, gets on the end of a cross-free kick about, uh, about five yards out, and he misses uh, his header. Which would have put us in a deep, deep hole. Uh, what, what, what were your observations coming out at half time from like the forty-five to the sixty-minute mark? Uh, I thought, I thought, um, I thought Middlesbrough wasn't doing too bad. I think um, they were obviously trying to get back into the game again. It's like you want to see a reaction from a team that's down, um, that's losing. Obviously, in the, in that in that position that they're in, they're in. It's like. Um, the two points above relegation zone. It's like you want to see a reaction. You want to see the players coming out and um, and showing some intent. And I think they did try that. But um, I think Bristol City's quality on the ball, um, the way they were playing through the lines as well, and and getting it out. And Hunt always looked dangerous um, throughout the whole game as well. So I think um, yeah, during that during that time, you could see Middlesbrough were trying. They were trying to get back in the game, trying to get that goal that was gonna. That was gonna help them, um, obviously, to keep pushing on and try salvage salvage a result. But um, I think Bristol City's quality on the ball and um, just their moving through the lines was, was good. Yeah, I thought I thought it was an interesting switch at the 66 minute mark. Um, 
you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. I coach myself, and it's very easy to sit after the game and say, woulda, coulda, shoulda. Mm-hmm. But Middlesbrough made a switch that I would have been interested to see play out at halftime uh, because there's a double substitution at the 66-minute mark. Uh, Ashley Fletcher, who's been very good this season, comes off. Centre-back Ryan Shotton comes off, and there's two attacking players go on, um, Marcus Tavernier and Patrick Roberts. So the, the shift is Middlesbrough now going to a flat-back four, uh, playing a midfield three, and a Sombolonga is centre-forward with Roberts and Tavernier either side. And I thought it, it made a difference defensively, to be honest with you, because by playing in a back four, Spence and Johnson now had you know, 10 to 15 yards more of a cushion, and it wasn't quite as easy to ping those balls in behind them and chase them. There's one play where De Silva tries to dibble at Spence and Spence is five to ten yards deep and it's just not happening. And then uh, the same issue Middlesbrough had was sort of flipped a little bit ironically because there's a play where Tavernier finds Roberts. And now, you know, De Silva, the left wing back, is matched up on Spence and Roberts is just standing high and wide. And there's a play where Asombolonga ties up the centre-back on that side Tavernier plays a ball behind and Roberts is in. A 1v1 with a keeper. Doesn't convert. Um, Baker, actually, who I thought played well at centre-back, made sort of a sliding block before the keeper even has to make a play. But it's sort of flipped the issue. Now, now Middlesbrough have a high winger that's stretching that Bristol wing back. And like I said, I'll, you know, make that at half-time and let's see what it looks like. But I thought, I thought to a... Not to a massive extent, but I did think the game tipped back towards Borough, at least to the point that they didn't look like letting a goal in every time Bristol went forward. And I know what you're going to say next. Well, yeah, why, why did he go 3-0 down on the 79-minute mark? But there was, a, there was about 13 minutes of hope for me there, Enoch. Maybe because I'm not an optimist and I do this to myself. But what, uh, what did you think of that switch from Warner? I think... I think you're right. I think um, Middlesbrough did look dangerous, and I thought the the forward players just seemed to have obviously more options for them for themselves. I think earlier in the game, um, longer like he was isolated, like didn't really get much joy. Um, I think after the switch, I think he saw there was there was more combinations in the final third, and just those couple of opportunities for Roberts that went through in, in that in that in that wing back space. Whereas I thought they, um, obviously, if he, did, if he converts one of them, I think there's another one where you could have just kind of dinked it to the back post and there was like two or three minutes of players that could have nodded it in and he kind of like um, shanked over the bar with his right foot. But um, those couple of opportunities, one of those goes in, it, again, it, it kind of changes the game. And I think Middlesbrough kind of at that time kind of deserved a goal for their, for their, um, for their efforts and, and how they were playing. But yeah, it's like, um, but I think even in those times, Bristol, although they didn't go through as much, they, they still look dangerous on the break. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that never stopped. And uh, obviously, goal three, uh, there's a header into the middle by friend, Weeman, uh, who now is about to give us a hat-trick of assists. Mm-hmm. Uh, real simple through ball, or maybe a slip by Fry, but Wells is in again. Real casual finish, 3-0, game sort of over as a contest. And um, why are Middlesbrough so exposed here? You know, is this a system thing? Was, is this team not set up to go high wing backs? Is it a personnel thing, which personally I'm leaning towards, where these guys aren't athletic enough? Because, you know, this isn't the first time this has happened. We lost to QPR and 
Jordan Huggle, who's not as fast as Naki Wells, is played in behind off the shoulder of a friend, and it's a simple finish. AU and Kalulu, Swansea, sort of tear Middlesbrough out wide. I was 3-0 down in about 35 minutes. Um, what are your observations on this Middlesbrough side? Why so vulnerable at the back? I think is um, uh, obviously pace is a, is a huge asset um, for, any, for any player, whether you're a forward player or a defender. I think obviously if, if you're coming up against someone who you know is a lot faster than you, then you obviously got to give him that space and make sure you, you're able to cover that ground going backwards. And I thought um, too many points in the game, you saw that um, they were kind of defenders of square on or there was, and especially the, the wing back areas, it's like you have to be really fit, really, really fit to play in that position. And I've played in that position one or two times in my career as well as a, as a, as a left wing back. And it's like you're up and down that field. And if you can't get back, I know a lot of managers used to say to me, if you can't get back, just don't, don't go forward. And so once, <laughs> once there's that space, um, once there's that space in behind, so many players, um, attacking players, will, will want to exploit that space. That's the, that's the number one thing attacking players want. They want that space. They thrive on that space. And Lucky Wells is a player that thrives on that space as well. If there's more, I know in the beginning of the game you saw that Middlesbrough wanted to keep it really compact. I didn't think the fullbacks was going forward as much in the first 15 minutes, but that first goal kind of froze all the it throws all the plans out the window. Yeah. The, game, the goal came so early in the game and it's like, okay, now we have to come out and attack. And I think that's what really caused a, a ample spaces for Bristol City to attack. Yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting point you make because, you know, that's not a team set up to go 1-0 down in six minutes, right? And no. I also wonder what it goes mentally to a team where if the game plan is to be tight and is to sit back and is to absorb that... Um, that Bristol pressure, mentally and emotionally, it's a lot easier to do that nil-nil than it is one-nil down right away, right? And yeah. Plus two-nil, you know, in the reality, you need two goals in half a game. And, yeah, and then you just start to get picked off and it's a never-ending spiral, right? It's, uh, and then it's just the, it's just the pressure of the, of, the, of the position. It's like, you, instead of being patient and kind of sticking to game plans, you start to think, we need a goal back as, as soon as possible. Now you've got 84 minutes to get a goal back. But I guess it's just that the pressure of the position, how many games are left in the season, that you feel you just need to come out and, and attack straight away. While it only takes a second to score a goal. And it's just, I think, still hold your position. Don't let the game get any further away from you. Reassess that half-time. If you're going at 1-0 down at half-time at least, then at least the second half you can kind of reassess and, and decide at what point you can really push on for that equaliser and again that winner as well. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's talked about a lot, but you're a player yourself and, you know, am I hearing here that in a relegation battle, going 1-0 down is, you know, messes with your head a lot more than it would mid-table or up at the top end? 100%. It's like, a, it's the mentality and the mindset. It's like, I want to say you're, I want to say you're panicking, but in your head, you know how, how, how crucial it is to actually pick up results at this stage of the season. And I've been in relegation battles where we've lost games towards the end of the season. It's like you, you feel the pressure, you feel the heaviness, like your legs are not as, as quick and as free as, as, as it would be if you was like, um, if you just weren't playing for anything or you was like even top of the table. Um, you get that kind of same feeling as well. I remember losing to Millwall at Bristol, with Bristol City, second to last game of the season, and we could have gone up. And it just felt, 
he felt heavy in the game. And then, like, um, the, the last game of the season, we actually won to go to get promoted. You score that first goal, you go 1-0 up, and that relief that you feel in your, in your side and the energy that gives you just to keep pushing forward and, and to get that result is so much bigger than it is when you concede that goal and you need to get back into the game. Yeah. All right. And Millsbury spawned pretty quickly. Um, you know, Lewis Wing feeds a Sombolonga and uh, he scores. It's 3-1. I'll be honest with you. My impression as the game closed out is this was more of a consolation goal than a, a real belief instilled into Middlesbrough that there was a comeback coming. Um, like, I don't know, Bristol City at the Riverside all back in the day. Um, what were your thoughts watching the closing stages of this game? Did this look like a Borough team pushing and believing they'd get a goal or a Bristol team closing out a comfortable win? I thought it was, it was, close, it was closing out um, a, com- a comfortable win for Bristol City. Of course, Middlesbrough pushing on but Bristol City didn't need to do anything outrageous they didn't need to push on um, their players they didn't really they didn't need to attack they didn't need to expose themselves so I thought they I thought it was a good away performance from Bristol City yeah um, in terms of like their, their whole approach I think their counter-attacking they were dangerous when Middlesbrough were pushing on like midway through that second half um, they always they always seemed dangerous they always seemed like they could push on to score another goal and obviously they did with, um, with Wells again but um, yeah, I think I think um, in those closing stages, I don't think Middlesbrough believe they will get into that game. But they still have more games to really push on and, and obviously try to stay in the league. So it's in their hands, and I think Middlesbrough. I think the quality of the squad is they should be higher than where they are right now. Yeah, I mean, I've thought that all season, to be honest with you. Um, one thing I was impressed with with Bristol and why I think they've got a shot here of pushing into those playoff paces. Um, you know, obviously, we'd talk to death here about the pace out wide and the pace going forwards. But it struck me how many defensive set players were cleared by Naki Wells and uh, Famara Jeju. And I do apologize to any Bristol fans if I just butchered that name. Um, and also at the back, uh, I thought the keeper played well. He makes a very good save from a uh, close range header in the first half. He deals well with crosses. I thought Baker was impressive at centre back. I thought uh, Callas. And I liked him at Middlesbrough, and I like him still. And, uh, you know, we've talked about the Silver and Hunt going forward, but I don't think they lack very much going back either towards their own goal. Looks a strong team that if they caught, uh, caught a wave here, they could be a tough matchup in the playoffs. What's your, uh, your prediction for Bristol as this season closes out? Yeah, obviously, they've, they've had like... Um, uh, they've just released Lee Johnson, who I played with at Bristol City as well. Yeah. Um, and obviously they had a few bad results coming after the restart. And obviously with those with a couple of wins out of those games, they could have been really, really, really like up there in the mix. And um, they're still close. There's a lot of teams with like a few points that are still all pushing for the playoffs. But again, it's like um, anything is possible and they can, if they put some back-to-back wins together like they have in the last few games, I think they can, they can squeeze in. But it's, it's going to be a tough off. Yeah, gotcha. Um, and on Middlesbrough's end, you know, I, I refuse to think that we're going down. Um, can't deny it might happen. We're two points clear and two teams separated. Mm-hmm. Um, but as an outside pair of you know, pretty educated eyes on the division here looking in, where might Middlesbrough struggle here? You know, what areas of the team are weak? And would you be picking out if you're an opponent scouting them? 
and what are things that they could use and emphasize to help them get themselves out of trouble here? I think um, uh, a theme um, we've had in this, in this conversation is that um, they don't have that pace at the back. So you, if they're coming against like pacey strikers, then other teams are going to be looking at exposing their, the central of that defence against pacey strikers. And obviously Bristol have, a, have good teams. They have like that good um, central midfielder with good vision that can play those kind of through balls. And not all teams, will, not all teams they come against will have that kind of ability to um, really play those balls. So um, again, I think that pace in the central areas and out wide, um, again, they need to be more compact um, going forward. They can't allow that space um, in behind them because they know if they expose, if they oppose their centre, their centre backs, then they're going to be in trouble against pacey strikers. But overall, I think the actual team and the squad of Middlesbrough, I think they have enough to obviously stay in a division. I think I saw enough in this game that I think that they could be able to um, pick up enough points and pick up a couple of victories in the, game, in the next few games that they need. And of course, with Wigan um, potentially getting that 12-point deduction as well, I think you've got another, another team like being pulled back into that mix. So I think overall, I think Middlesbrough should be safe this year. Yeah. And hey, if you, if you want a club that's not going to feel bad for a team that gets relegated for a points deduction, it's Middlesbrough FC, brother, who mm. is still not emotionally recovered from the 96-97 season when Janino and the boys were robbed of three points um, and relegated as a result. So terrible yeah. shame for Wigan, but being there felt that. And mm. you know, it, it's worth saying that Middlesbrough actually cancelled that Blackburn game uh, to avoid a virus that was sweeping along the locker room getting spread. So there's an argument now that we were well ahead of our time uh, mm. in that aspect, actually, in terms of cancelling games for that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's a shame for Wigan, but if that's the thing that separates Middlesbrough from relegation, be over it real fast, <laughs> I would imagine. Um, final point here, and this is for more uh, young players listening. You were a pacey striker, you were an in-behind striker, and you know there's a certain type of forward, and you fit that mold, and you know, hopefully a lot of kids listening, that's, that's their strengths. If you could teach them something about the game, you know, what defenders did you face in your career that were difficult to play against in terms of getting in behind, and why did they make it so difficult? And from the other end, what did you look for like in terms of errors by defenders or things that you'd probe and search for to have success during a game. Take us inside your mind a little bit on that front. Well, I, um, there, was, there was two aspects to my game. There was the pace and power, but I'm 6'5", so I was also a target man as well. So I kind of played both roles within different teams, depending on what, how the manager saw the game. But um, in those games where, um, of course, you know there's always reports and there's scouting reports and... Um, other teams are going to know your strengths and weaknesses. So a lot of teams they used to um, they used to drop off ten yards and allow and allow me to kind of to kind of pick up the ball um, in between. But usually within the first fifteen minutes, I would show them, okay, I'm going in behind, I'm going in behind, I'm going in behind, and we would stretch the game for our midfielders to kind of get on the ball. And one of the key aspects was making two runs, like one run for myself, one run for them. So it's like I would make a run. That I was going short, try to get the defender to follow me into a space where he didn't want to be, 
and then I'll spin in behind and then uh, one of the midfielders will drop the ball in behind and I'll obviously get into the channels behind fullbacks and, and, and pick up the ball and then we set up our attacks from there. And there's the other aspect after that, after that kind of first 15 minutes where I was showing them, okay, I'm going in behind, I'm going in behind, this is what I'm going to do all game. I started just dropping off into that hole and they will give me five, 10 yards of space where I can just pick up the ball and then we set up our attacks from there and I can play it to our wingers and I can play it into midfield. But um, because they knew I was quick, they would usually drop five, 10 yards off me. Um, so I wouldn't be burning them in behind. And um, but that allowed me to pick up the ball, um, take it on my chest, pick up the ball in space. The defender was off me. He wasn't as tight to me. And I think that's the key aspect for, for strikers is trying to work a little bit of space for yourself. So it's always that double movement um, in the right areas. And it doesn't have to be big movements. It's two or three yards one way to go, to go the other way. The defender can't move as quickly or know your, your thought patterns. And if you see some of the best strikers and their movement in and around the box, in, in, inside the box as well, you know that um, that, that double movement is, is going to create that space for you. And then once you're on the same wavelength with your wingers and your midfielders, you're gonna make you're gonna make um you're gonna you're gonna score goals and you're gonna get a lot of opportunities uh, to help your team as well. Yeah, that's that's great insight, that mate. All right, so um, appreciate you coming on, Enoch. Um, I'm sure you enjoyed the game. I just like you to know from the bottom of my heart that I didn't. Um, <laughs> but uh, there's always always midweek at Reading. Um, <laughs> And hopefully it works out well for both of us. Hopefully Bristol make the playoffs and hopefully Middlesbrough stay in the division and then we'll go on from there. But uh, thanks again, mate. Up the borough. Up the borough. Come on, Bristol. <laughs> yeah.